to Doxed, the podcast. We're going to do, we're going to talk about algorithms and ethics. Is that right? Yep. Algorithms and ethics. Good. And I want to also talk about like AI and ethics too, if we can, yeah. which I guess is probably just all interrelated at this point, but yeah. Uh, AI algorithms, ethics, data, data security. It's all. Uh, yeah. Data security. Oh my God. Which you know a little bit about because you have a background in data analysis. A little bit, yeah. I can actually speak to something kind of smart. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. You always do, but that's I. What do you, like? Are there particular things that you picked up from that? Uh, what I really zeroed in on in like learning about data engineering and data science is like the visualization part of it. That's what actually spoke to me. It's like the only creative thing that I kind of picked up on in the di- the data science realm is being able to take something really hard to digest and make it pretty to look at and easy to understand and to be able to come up with all the different questions that people may ask about a certain data set and being able to like extrapolate that and answer a question. That's kind of what I was hoping I'd be able to do after going to school for that but jobs are hard to come by yeah when it comes to data it's just it's like the lifeblood of how the internet works and how ai works and how machine learning has come to be how chat gpt came to be it's all data and how it can be used to serve people Yeah. And I think some of the problem is that there's a lot like governing bodies have no idea what they're talking about when they like when they did that whole hearing with the TikTok CEO, they clearly just have no idea what they're talking about. They're playing politics completely unrelated to the facts of whatever's going on with the data. So it makes it hard to have any kind of regulation. And then there's obviously a lot of people that are going to take advantage of a wild west like that, or just like natural things that will happen without countermeasures. Uh, so much of our information, so much of our personal data is out there and being purchased and sold to companies, not necessarily to cause us individual harm. I think big companies purchase people's data to be able to come up with ways to sell. I mean, it's all... It's all about that. Absolutely. Yeah. It makes me think of the conversation about music and art and AI and There is an issue where AI, in different instances, you can see that it has lifted art from real people and Mm -hmm. made some kind of amalgamation of it. And people get really mad about that. And I have kind of a hot take on that. As an artist who's put out music, I might be in the minority to think that it's really just like capitalism is the only reason that it matters that you're copying someone else's work to whatever degree Mm -hmm. that's the only reason it matters and I don't think it's really a problem like I think it's I think it's a problem I think it's a problem because we live in capitalism but like like you don't want to rip people off you don't want to like take what they what they do for their work because you need work and you need to sustain yourself Mm -hmm. but art is always some recombination of other ideas put into a new context always Mm mm-hmm So it's kind of nonsense and you get into these weird like legislative battles about, you know, who copied a song to what extent and 99% of the melody was 
the same, but what if it's in a different key or what if it's in a, you know, and can you, can you copyright? Like I, let me, I should know for a fact, but hold on. I want to see if there's a news story. Oh, they actually did something cool with it. So there's this project where Damien Real and Noah Rubin, they generated every possible MIDI melody. So they, which I don't know exactly what that means <laughs> because that's a lot, but they basically generated like a huge amount of melodies and put it in Creative Commons. But basically AI can just generate infinite melodies. So it can, it's like the monkey and typewriters kind of idea. It eventually will, it eventually will generate something that matches something. So yeah. it's, it's like a completely absurd conversation. Yeah. And I think the ethics around it all is a really important conversation to have. So I think we talked about this briefly with our follow-up episode with Jubilee and how there's a lot of fear around AI. Mm-hmm. And the ethics around AI and like, what if the robots get smarter than us and take over kind of thing? And you had mentioned like programming ethics into these kind of like algorithmic models so that, I don't know, they don't want to actually act like us. (laughs) They don't actually want to do what we do when we're in positions of power. Sure. But who's we? And like, they are going to act like us, I think. And it's just like, again, who's we? Like, is everybody bad? I think that there's so much humans. There's so, I mean, human beings make mistakes and have issues, but there's so much pushback against this idea that people can be good. I guess not everybody. And I guess nothing is really inherently good or bad about people either. But I find that pushback really strange because the fear seems to be coming from a place of not trusting that anyone could really be loving and could program an AI to be loving. And that comes from, I think, people who don't operate primarily from a place of love or don't understand how to love in healthy ways and who think, therefore, that everyone else is just going to act like them. And then it's like something inherent to people because that's their experience. But like, I know that I'm loving. I know that you're loving. There's a lot of people that I know deeply uh, approach the world that way. And so I think in general, if someone who operates that way designs the AI, then the AI is going to follow suit. And I think, I think that that could very well be our salvation. And I think that it could be that, that simple. I have some notes on like how ethics play a role in social media algorithms specifically and how they can have like a really big impact on individual people on society as a whole and on like just certain even like certain government processes and lawmaking like it all kind of influences everyone how these algorithms work in terms of what they show you what they push to your feed and it plays such a big role in just like the well-being of people on certain social media platforms because those algorithms can that it doesn't only read your behavior but it influences user behavior it can like mess with your emotions and your mental health because it's like they're just kind of focused on engagement metrics over the person it's all about the numbers and the clicks and ad spend and and all of that versus like 
the actual well-being of the person that's seeing this particular content. It can really fuck with your brain. And it can create like echo chambers online because it can cater to certain people's beliefs, certain people's preferences. And I don't know, it kind of can play into a lot of biases and can isolate people into certain sides of of social media. Like TikTok specifically has all these little like side bubbles of TikTok that you don't even realize exist until someone says like, have you seen, have you seen bread talk? (laughs) Have you seen uh, Trump talk? Biscuit talk. Yeah. But also YouTube, I think, but maybe less now, but I think it used to do that. It used to really siphon people. And I remember Mm -hmm. ContraPoints like very actively making content to get in the way of that, which was a really cool early thing about that platform because it was like a realization that something was happening there where people were getting pushed down pipelines because there's this little sidebar on the YouTubes, on the YouTubes, where uh, there's like your main video. And then on the, on the right side, there's like other suggested videos and it would start suggesting. Mm-hmm. And you can see within a few iterations how it just leads you boop, 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 down to some yeah. very dangerous misinformation. So that was really happening a lot on older YouTube. And I think they kind of tried to fix the algorithm and maybe people got smarter to it. And maybe different kinds of populations started making more content on there. So it got mm-hmm. pushed differently. I think TikTok did a similar thing where early on <clears throat> or earlier on, it was, ve- and it still is very easy to spread total misinformation, just nonsense. Mm-hmm. You can say nothing nonsense or it's totally out of context. Uh, but early on, there was a lot more, it was very easy to make conspiracy type content go viral. And a lot of people would look at it and it could be nothing. It could be like a complete trick, you know, mm-hmm. some dumb edited video. And even people trying to call it out makes it go more viral. So it's just like. Right. Algorithms can definitely be, they can be exploited to like manipulate people and spread misinformation and polarize people for sure. And radicalize people too. Yeah. They can also, I mean, they can also push you toward other people that are like you, which can be a positive thing if you have healthy relationship to yourself and people. And that's something that I found on there is that if you kind of direct it like an energy on TikTok, especially interestingly, it'll like kind of work like that. And that was cool. Cause it's like, I found a lot of autism content. I found a lot of uh, decolonizing spirituality content. I found a lot of people that were like uh, aligned with me. So that was really good, but uh, it doesn't always work like that. And it has to be like an active thing all the time. Like as soon as you kind of let it go and become passive about it, stuff will take over and get in and, uh, it's always like an active process. Like it's never, it's never stagnant that you can just sort of let your guard down when it comes to like misinformation that's getting shot at you. My notes are mainly on the need for the need for ethics in social media algorithms. That's kind of where I focused. Well, what do you mean when you say a need for ethics? You mean like the need for the implementation of ethical regulations or you mean like a need for the discussion about ethics as these things are coming up uh probably both and making sure that their ethical processes programmed into machine learning models so that like racism and shit can't just run wild on social media so that people won't be radicalized in these dark corners of the internet thanks to algorithms pushing like hateful content to people that's ideally right but i don't think it's it's gotta always i mean 
I was kind of trying to say this earlier. It always has to be an ongoing process, right? In the mm-hmm. same or a similar way to like that, to like anti-racism, where you like live in a racist structure and the only time you ever are breaking out of it is when you're actively doing the opposite thing to work against it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a similar situation where the whole thing is like an energy. So if you get lax about your maintenance of your, you know, self-care or whatever, your boundaries and things, it, then it always can creep back into being a problem. Mm-hmm. So I don't really think there's an easy way to legislate, especially considering that people aren't very, the people that are legislating and the people that are even voting are not necessarily like educated voters about the things happening. And also there's just um, a lack of transparency a lot of times on the end of, on the end of the companies doing it. Uh, one thing that I wrote down that I wanted to talk about for this episode was about how I think, and I think this is a hard sell. I I don't know why. I don't know if it's like, I don't know if it's just like the political, the reaction to the politicization of the idea of identity, but it's almost like the conversations around identity outside of the spaces with, with people that I feel most comfortable. Like when, when you just kind of go into the broader world, like you're not on TikTok, you're just like out at a store or something. And you try to you use certain words and they kind of like really trigger people. And it's like all these conversations about identity and representation, I think, can do that to people. Mm-hmm. Unless they're kind of already versed and and somewhat aligned with you enough to have the conversation. Otherwise, it can be really triggering. But I think that's the whole answer or like a big part of it is to recognize everybody's subject position and identity. And then to have that be something that is like a way, like a framework through which we're all engaging with the whole idea of algorithms, because an algorithm is like a disembodied thing. So what we're really dealing with is like, an it's, there's nothing there. That's just like a mirror back to us, just like a lot of things are. And so mm-hmm. when it comes to like fixing the problem of the algorithm, it's not like a one size fits all pass a law and things are fine. It's like this ongoing, uh, ongoing engagement with it. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think like a big key is in identity and representation. And so mm-hmm. I wrote down a lot of scholars that I've read that speak to that. And I just want to like list some of them because it's a lot of, it's a lot of really, really good stuff. And, uh, I think like everybody should read Kimberly Crenshaw who who wrote about intersectionality, I think first mm-hmm. and was a law student. So it's not just like some kind of like, like I think there's this weird myth or misconception that it's like in some SJW, whatever, like same thing where they did people diminish feminism, but it's literally a, like a person who was, who was like well-versed in the law and thinking about practical applications of law who wrote this whole theory and then there's uh, there's like Cheryl Harris, Patricia Hill Collins, and Bell Hooks also. And then there's also uh, like more specific scholarship about using interne- intersectional frameworks to tackle issues around media representation and framing bias, which I think kind of kind of goes to this because, or I, I think kind of should inform a conversation about ethics with algorithms because algorithms are our media algorithms are well they're they define our they push us our media 
So I think a lot of those same questions about how do we deal with representing things in an ethical way in media can kind of be applied to algorithms, but, but, you know, are like as a parallel to algorithms, but you have to also, I'm, I'm kind of going on a tangent. Um, some of those scholars that talk about representation framing bias are, are, uh, Margaret Gallagher, Stuart Hall, Myra McDonald, Goose Yep, who I've talked about before on this podcast, who does, who talks about heteronormativity and how things that are normative and go unsaid can be, is a big part of how white supremacy operates. And so being able to call those things out and articulate them and decenter them by doing so, rather than just assuming that there's like a normal thing in an other in mm-hmm. a different categories, that's a way to like re-empower things. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of good scholarship that's already been done, I think is what I'm saying on on how do you frame things because we all again are from subject positions so we're always framing something some way it's a Mm -hmm. ridiculous nonsense statement to say that you're objective that's not a real thing so then Mm -hmm. you have to grapple with what are you doing with your frame just because you frame something some way doesn't mean it can't have integrity but you should be aware of the framing and then be able to articulate it and i think that yeah, I think that that whole structure of intersectionality is like so helpful for that. And it's really frustrating to me that people do s- almost see the conversation as like passe or something and or not even passe ranging into triggering. Like people don't really want to have that conversation. They don't want to like, they think of it as like an ideology or something. Like people will be like, oh, it's like some leftist ideology. No, no I mean, I guess it's the words are co-opted just like everything else always is, but. Right. But I, but I think it's like this huge key. Like that's what we should, that's what I would say focus on if you care about fixing the ethics, understand intersectionality and then apply it. And also like understand things like um, you could say shadow work or you could say just like the, the therapy work, like inner healing work, whatever that looks like. Those things I think are really important. And it's like, it might seem like a not uh, common sense answer to the question of like, what do we do about algorithms? you know, but I think that's really the only way to even survive the singularity. Um, like, uh, and the singularity is this idea that, that algorithms will, that, that AI will basically all at once be able to amalgamate enough information to figure something out and become in control and just immediately have like answers that we could never even dream of or control about it. Some people say that's going to happen between like 2030 and 2100. Some people have said it's already happened. I personally don't think it has already happened, but I think it's coming up in the next decade or so. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, very interesting time we live in. But I think that the only thing that works for that, because it's like, yeah, well, so what do they do then? They nuke everybody or what do they do? Like, what do they do? Are they evil? We don't know. Suddenly we don't have any control. And that's the issue. And so the only real solution is to build ourselves up as loving creatures. And then that way they'll reflect us because AI is is a, a tool. It's like, a, I got this from a video I was watching, it was like a TEDx talk, but it's like a hammer. So what are you talking about when you say, is this ethical, is it ethical to have 
to use AI or whatever? Like, is it ethical to use a hammer? Is it ethical to use the hammer to kill someone? You know, right. but was the hammer ethical or was the, you know, so that's kind of, this, that's kind of parallel. Um, but as it stands now, of course, as you were saying, the algorithms are very often turning out to be sexist, racist, classist, et cetera. There was, I looked up a couple of different articles about diff various different programs. There was an AI resume screening tool that trained itself to be sexist. There was, there were stories about algorithms in hospitals that are leading to racially biased misdiagnoses mm -hmm. uh, and perpetuating bias and inequality like in trackable ways. And a big part of the problem is the lack of transparency about the data around the data. Right. Um, and it's always like, Oh, go ahead. Algorithms and AI and machine learning and all of these things are meant to sort of be not just a reflection of us as humans or, or a reflection of society, a reflection or of, who we are and what we want and what we like, but it's also created to anticipate behaviors, anticipate things that we want, anticipate the things that we want to consume or the things that we may choose if the right things are shown to us. And that it can perpetuate and exacerbate certain biases and lead to really discriminatory, discriminatory outcomes. Like what we see on TikTok a lot, seeing uh, creators of color or queer creators creating something great that is fun or informative or worthy of going viral and then someone that fits the European beauty standard is a pretty blonde-haired blue-eyed white woman or some hot like muscle guy will do that same thing that a black creator did or an indigenous creator did and they will suddenly be pushed to the for you page not because they're doing anything original or super creative or better than anyone they just fit the bill for what the algorithm says should be worthy of going viral and that's not something that is learned by itself that's something that's programmed into the algorithm as a reflection of whoever is programming it are you tired of feeling unsafe online do you want to learn how to protect yourself from cyberbullying, doxing, and other forms of online harassment? Then look no further than Doxed the Podcast. Visit the website doxthepodcast.com to sign up for the Doxed free ebook full of helpful tips and resources for online safety. Plus, when you sign up, you'll receive the weekly newsletter with the latest updates on upcoming content. There are many ways to connect with Doxed, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Discord. Have a story to share or feedback to give? Use the contact form on the site to reach out or leave a voice message to be featured on the show. And for exclusive content, subscribe to the Doxed Supercast to gain access to the private podcast feed with member-only exclusives. Take control of your online safety and join the Doxed community today. And like algorithms in themselves, they're not inherently biased, exactly. but they can learn to to replicate biases that are presented during their like their training data yeah they can and they and they will they model themselves after whatever we put into them which again i think mm -hmm. you can think of it as like an energy like it is the data but it's a more overarching 
I don't know, way of being. And so, so yeah, to me, like that's the answer. And it is a very urgent question. And it's interesting on TikTok, how immediate all of that is and looks, because that's really kind of what's been happening in art forever, you know, <laughs> since we were like subjugating groups of people, we've been then taking their art and first of all, trying to quell them from being able to, you know, make it, but then also to profit off of it. And then that's what I'm like, things get always taken out of one context and put into another context. And when you're blind to like the power differentials and operations within all of that, it can look like somebody just was hit with a stroke of genius and came out of nowhere with some kind of beat you never heard of or something in your entire life. No, he lifted that from somewhere like, right. Um, and, and, and I think that the ethical questions around that are where to be lifted and what does that have to do with the identities of all the people involved and how they're affected, which is why that's such an important part of the, of the conversation. Um, but it's interesting to see how on TikTok, those things are so much more immediate. Like those things can happen in seconds as opposed to a hundred years later or something. And so that whole, it's so like rapid fire and furious and chaotic the way that that, the way that it, and it's the same thing with AI. Like AI can just spit out some image and maybe it's lifted, you know? Right. Um, <clears throat> so you can't look at every example. You have to like deal with large amounts of data. You have to like make kind of sweeping generalizations. And also like, maybe you can speak a little bit to the privacy element of the data, because I know uh, there's concerns about data privacy always, and definitely issues with data breaches and hacking. And, uh, but part of the, part of the thing I think is that people don't understand how data works and maybe think that when you put your data in as an individual, that's something, and I think, you know, bad data security is that you could look up those individual things, but, but data is all about understanding kind of group information based on the statistics of all that data. So you're kind of mixing your individual data in to say something more about the group. And it's not really like your privacy is given up if you're just in a list, right? A bunch of data, unless somebody can then put it together that you are like this from column A and this from column B and suddenly figure something else out about you. But maybe you can speak more to that and like how people, like how people deal with that. I can't speak a ton into data privacy. I'm not in like cybersecurity, but what I can say is that in the grand scheme of things, the powers that be, the government, whatever, have very large fish to fry. And so your regular, regular, average Joe who's scared about putting his email address into a survey like they're not looking for you like they don't they don't care about like your information it really is about getting a broader visual of who is where and what their shopping behaviors are what their just who and where and what their behaviors are and what they do and what choices they make that's kind of the point in people of people or certain companies collecting massive amounts of data it's yeah. it's like it's so it's almost like a like a currency for large companies to get that information so they know who they can market to and sell to it's really all about being able to sell to you and people get really grossed out at the idea of being sold to but we're being sold to every single mm -hmm. day absolutely every time you open your phone 
Like, people talk about how, oh, I was talking about this one thing with my friend, and then next thing you know, I'm seeing an ad for it on Instagram, and I never searched it. That's not well, magic. It's listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason why these things happen. It's, it's so companies can sell to you. But what's more important to me when I think about algorithms and ethics and machine learning and what's happening with the data, what's important to me is who is on the development teams and what are their backgrounds and really who, do they have in, who do they have in place that can help identify and rectify these yes. certain biases really early in the design of the algorithm, really early in the machine learning and the training processes. Who's yes. there saying this is fucked up? Yes, I want to clap, but I know Zoom isn't going to pick it up right. But um, <laughs> that point <laughs> is extremely good because, uh, yeah, you need a diversity of perspectives in the room with saying power. So it can't just be tokens. It mm -hmm. has to be people that actually are in a safe enough space to voice concerns <laughs> and yeah. issues, which means you can't even just do diversity hires. You have to do the internal work. CEOs or anybody that's in charge of any kind of project like this, if we're actually going to survive the, the singularity apocalypse, like you have to <laughs> make yourself as safe as possible for people to voice concerns about things like this and have them in the room and empower them to do it. That's very, very important. Claps for that point. <clears throat> and then also, I think it is really, you're completely right about capitalism and how it's just always everything all the time. We are always branded as soon as we're in any kind of public facing space at all as people. And that wasn't always true of people, but it has been since, I don't even know exactly where it started, like industrialization. And then after that, uh, modernism, probably postmodernism, mm -hmm. things get absurd, but uh, I was just talking to someone the other day about, because I've been on TikTok for, for a while, you've been on it longer. And when I first came on, I really wanted to educate. I was like, oh, I have all these ideas and I think maybe I can like get them out to people and finally, you know, get an audience for them. And what I kind of learned through doing this for a while now, and what I was telling somebody, because the, the person I was talking to was like interested in getting on TikTok and starting to teach about their thing. And I was like, you know, you can't teach on TikTok. You can make people feel like they learned something, but what you're doing is you're, you are helping them to shape an emotion. You're not actually teaching them something. And then you can, through that, you can emotionally guide them or manipulate them, which we're all doing at all times in any public, anytime we're any public facing person in any way, we're doing that at all times. And it's like, it is what it is you can guide them to you to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship. And then from there you can teach them. But what all you're doing is you're emotionally convincing them that they can be taught by you. You're not actually teaching them the thing. And I think that's a really mm -hmm. important thing to understand about TikTok. That's a really good point. Well, it goes back to framing and how, I mean, in all of media is kind of doing that too, right? Like, um, oh, and I actually have a, I wrote down like a little bit of a, definition of framing from one of my articles which is robert entman framing bias media in the distribution of power and he talks about framing as a process of calling a few elements of 
perceived reality and assembling a narrative that highlights connections among them to promote a particular interpretation. And I like that definition because it, again, it's like when we, and I don't know if we'll cut this out from the beginning of the episode or not, but we're talking about like nodal understandings of history and things versus linear. Mm-hmm. And I really think that's how a lot of people think is like more nodally. And so all, whenever you're experiencing anything, you're kind of always having it framed in some way. And it, and the framing helps you to understand where to like stick it into that network. Like the network is a framework. So when people understand how to do that, and then what that basically is, is marketing, which I enjoy marketing. I love to do it as a kind of work and it is manipulation. Is it inherently unethical? No, because I can't do anything that's ethical. You tell me what to do that's ethical. Right. Nothing. I can at least find a way outlet for my creativity, you know, in a job and a way to also like, I love the kind of, uh, the kind of interactions I have with people through my marketing work. I love, I don't know. I love like mastering the editing apps and things. It's, there's nothing I could possibly do that would be perfectly ethical because of the world. So, right. Yeah. But it is manipulation. That's what it is. You're learning how to frame things and make it so that people fit them into their frameworks and their understandings of things in a way that you want and everybody's doing it. And some people are better than others. And it's all, it's all of it is out there doing it all the time at people. And sometimes that benefits us. Sometimes you can just be like, well, I guess, I guess I can, I can frame that. Like it means that I can just draw things into me. So like, if you're going to advertise to me anyway, I might as well speak it loudly into the computer that I want. I I just want to manifest uh, a new piano you know? <laughs> and then mm-hmm. something will come up that might be exactly what I needed actually. And am I going to be afraid of that? Uh, I could be, I guess, but like uh, there's everything in the world all the time to be afraid of. And it's almost like a cop out. Because you could also be like, ah, oh, let me be open <clears throat> to what might come in or let me, not like in terms of just like buying the shit that people feed you on their average, but like, let me just shift my energy and my framing of how am I dealing with, what is my relationship to the algorithm and how do we engage and what are my boundaries with the algorithm mm-hmm. uh, and the other, you know, and the other people on it. Yeah. I think that's doable though, but I think it's a hard sell for people because it requires a lot of internal work for us to like actually get through, you know, being out of control. And that goes back to like an entire spiritual question of like being of like, what can you control the things outside of yourself? You can't, you can only control like your reaction to things basically. Right. It's kind of the same question here. Like we get this, this unending level of complexity and urgency and danger uh, and, and you know constant horrible uh oppression of people going on exacerbated all the time what can you do to react to that in a way that brings you the best things that you can be brought I mean, you're right all you can really ever do is control yourself and how you respond and react to things that's all we can ever do i think and it seems like it's almost like too simple to be the answer Uh, and there's so much pushback but i think that's it you know i think it's Mm -hmm. like 
legislation is a secondary question. Like it's about doing this inner work, which really we kind of are, you know, like collectively we kind of are not all the way, not everyone, but kind of, we're kind of getting there with like a lot of generational stuff. Healing I think has happened in our lifetimes and a lot of trauma and a lot of trauma processing. Like all of that is kind of where I think is our salvation. Mm -hmm. Like in ourselves. Yeah. So I wrote down a couple of different or websites and organizations that are looking at like the societal impact of algorithms and social implications of AI, which I just thought was cool to know that they exist at least. Like there's some advocates for ethical issues and civil liberties and stuff, and they might be good to get behind if this is like an issue you're concerned about or educate yourself on. So there's Algorithm Watch, algorithmwatch.org, which is like a European nonprofit. It's not like it is. There's AI Now Institute, and there's the Electronic Frontier Foundation. So yeah, all of those are really good resources from what I could see. And I wanted to mention them because it's also just uh, 1212. It's also reassuring <laughs> to know that there definitely are groups out there. And if you if you are concerned about an issue like this, it's a it's a good it's a good idea to look first to see what groups already exist that you might be able to help rather than thinking you have to kind of like lone wolf it and start your own way of finding a solution. Right. You know? Yeah. Thank you for listening. Find additional content at doxtthepodcast.com.